In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. There is a great mystery echoing in these words. Do you hear it? I speak in reference to Christ and the church. For who else could this young bridegroom be, this beloved son of the king, for whom the king is preparing a joyful wedding feast, but our Lord Jesus Christ? And who could his spotless bride-to-be be except for the church, whom St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians, Christ loved her so much that he handed himself over for her to sanctify her, that he might present to himself the church in splendor as his own spouse. So there's a great mystery here, the mystery of the bridegroom and the bride, which is thrilling through the very heart of God and echoing down through the ages of creation and salvation to our present day. This mystery, St. John Paul II called the primordial sacraments, this mystery of the love of the bridegroom and the bride. So in his magnificent poem, The Romance of the Creation, St. John of the Cross, that great poet of divine love, imagines the following dialogue, which takes place in all eternity between the Father and the Son. The Father says, I wish to give you, my dear Son, to cherish you, a lovely bride, and one who for your worth will merit to live forever by our side, and she will eat bread at our table, the selfsame bread on which I've fed, that she may know the worth and value of the Son whom I have bred, and there enjoy with me forever the grace and glory that you shed. Thanks to you, Almighty Father, the Son made answer to his sire, to the wife that you shall give me, I shall give my lustrous fire, that by its brightness she may witness how infinite my Father's worth, and how my being from your being in every way derived its birth. I'll hold her on my arm reclining, and with your love will burn her so that with an endless joy and wonder your loving kindness she may know. Let it be done then, said the Father, for your love's surpassing worth, and the moment he pronounced it was the creation of the earth. So we see here St. John of the Cross. Of course, he's enlightened by mystical wisdom and by great study. Nevertheless, he's imagining this dialogue. But he imagines the creation of the earth, the heavens, the seas, the stars, the hierarchies of angels, and ultimately the human race itself as an answer to this desire of the Father to prepare a bride for his Son. And this is the wedding which the Eternal Father has prepared. It's the union of our humble human nature with his own divine glory. So St. John continues, Then in a deathless music sounding, bride to bridegroom will be joined. There with the single same rejoicing with which God revels, she will thrill, reveling with the Son, the Father, and he who issues from their will, each one living in the other, samely loved, clothed, fed, and shod. She, absorbed in him forever, she will live the life of God. Dear friends of Christ, realize the height of the glory for which you were made and the immensity of this vocation to which God is calling us the Father sent his servants, the apostles and the prophets, and ultimately his own Son, to invite us to the wedding feast, but not only to witness the union, 
to become the bride. Little and lowly though we are, we are made from all eternity for union with our God. And indeed, it was for this that you were clothed in white on the day of your baptism. It's for this reason that I wear this white garment now to celebrate this prayer service, and that the priests who celebrate Mass always wear the white alb. This white garment uh, signifies nothing less than charity, of which St. Paul says, over all these uh, virtues and good works and various good qualities that we might have, over all these, put on love. That is the bond of perfection. So you see, love, which is properly called charity, is a bond. Love unites the lover and the beloved. And it is love and only love which will unite us to God. Not our good works, not our virtues, not our knowledge, but only our love. Now perhaps we understand why this poor man who came improperly attired to the wedding feast is punished so harshly by the king. It's not a matter of violating the heavenly dress code. St. Gregory the Great says, He who enters into the wedding feast, but without the wedding garment, has faith, but not charity. And I'm sure it will not come as a surprise to you to hear that there are many in the church today, in the pews, in the seminaries, and even in the holy priesthood, who have faith, but lack love. Faith is good. Faith is necessary. Uh, it's by the knowledge of faith that we come to know the love that God has for us. But faith is a stepping stone. In heaven, faith will pass away, hope will pass away. Only love will endure, because love alone unites us to God. So faith is a stepping stone to move to charity. But love alone, the greatest of these, will remain in eternity. Now for these challenging words, which conclude today's gospel, our Lord says, Many are called but few are chosen. There are few more scandalous passages than this in all of the Gospels. So what does he mean? Well, we might say all are invited, but some do not wish to come. We see this in the beginning of today's parable. The first who were invited to the wedding feast preferred to go to the farms or to their business and even spurned and killed the servants whom the Lord sent. So some refuse to come, others will come only so far, but they lack the resolve to go all the way. They may say, I'll answer the invitation and come to the wedding feast. After all, it sounds pretty great. I'll come into the hall, come into the church, but I will not put on the full garment of charity which the Lord offers. On this point, St. Bernard, whose feast we celebrate today, may be of some help to us, explaining why why some would refuse the Lord's offer to put on the garment of charity. See, the Church honors St. Bernard with the title of Doctor Caritatis, the great doctor or teacher, if you want, of, of charity. And St. Bernard distinguishes four stages of the growth of love in each of us. We might call them four distinct steps in putting on the full garment of charity, the wedding garment. So in the first stage, which he calls carnal love, the soul is essentially attracted to love God because we see the goods which he's given us simply by making us human beings, simply by virtue of our creation. So the Lord gives us certain gifts. He gives us a free will. He gives us an intellect by which we can know the truth. He gives us the beauty of the earth. He gives us the love of our families. And many people are moved spontaneously to give honor to the Creator simply by contemplating these good things. 
Um, one not even needs, need be a Christian to love God in this way, with this carnal love. But for that reason, it's, it's very general, and it remains more at the level of the gifts given than ascending to the giver. It's more a love of the gifts. So this love has to be purified. As we come to know God better by faith, we learn more what he has done for us, especially through the knowledge of his incarnation and his passion, which he suffered for us. Our love increases, and we come to love God, St. Bernard says, more for what he now can do for us. He calls this a mercenary love because it's self-concerned. And so we love God because we desire eternal salvation. We desire him to bring us to heaven. We desire graces and blessings. So we go to him praying for these gifts. But this love remains imperfect because it's self-interested. St. Bernard says it is weak. For if this hope of gain is removed, the love may be extinguished or at least diminished. It is not pure as it desires some return. But gradually, and many of you will know this better than I do, over long experience and many trials and failures, our love becomes purified. And we begin to love with what St. Bernard calls filial love, which means the love of sons and daughters for their father. And this is not a love which is primarily self-concerned anymore. It's self-forgetful, in fact, because the heart becomes more and more occupied in loving God, simply because he is beautiful and good and trustworthy and true. And the more our hearts are occupied with loving him for his own sake, the more they take on the dimensions and characteristics of his own divine love. Our hearts become expanded, such that as we're occupied with loving God, we spontaneously begin to love our neighbors and even our enemies. This is the love of the great martyrs and saints. This is the love of St. Teresa of Calcutta. Yet, St. Bernard distinguishes even a fourth stage of love, which is more perfect than this, and he simply calls it pure love. And this is very interesting. The characteristic of this fourth, most perfect stage of love, the final stage, if you want, of putting on the wedding garment of charity, is that we learn to love ourselves now for God's sake. And he writes, this is to love the self that God desires, to love God's will for myself. And so it means the final purging of the will from all self-aggrandizement and desire for control. It is to be emptied out of oneself, to be brought almost to nothing, and to accept the reality of God as entirely definitive of one's identity. The self has no other will now than God's. Its only prayer is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may notice this progression is almost precisely the opposite of our present culture's obsession with self-care and self-esteem. See, the wisdom of the world holds that we must love ourselves first and provide for ourselves, provide for the many anxious cravings of our hearts before we're capable of loving others. But the wisdom of God, which is always folly to the world and a stumbling block, but to us is our hope and salvation, teaches us the truth that if we're ever going to love ourselves truly, we must learn to love God and fall in love with God in a quite absolute way, such that we abandon everything to him. And then in the beauty of his eyes, we will see ourselves as we truly are and come to love ourselves with the love 
that God has for us from all eternity. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Yes, the ideal of love is very high, and this is why many refuse. It's one thing to believe in God, another to surrender oneself to a love as demanding and all-consuming as this. But if we strive to advance in love and place our trust in Him, throwing ourselves confidently upon His mercy as often as we fail, the Father looks on our feeble efforts with great tenderness and will soon lift us up to the heights of perfection. And the reward for which we strive is the greatest of all, the only reward any lover worth the name has ever sought, to possess the beloved and to be possessed by him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, in your holy name, I ask that all of us who are gathered here today may be clothed at the end of our lives with the wedding garment of charity, with the garment of pure love. And Lord, I ask by your great mercy that every one of us may be led by your Holy Spirit to the way of light, of love, and of life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.